BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. This is a Countdown Bulletin podcast. Joe Biden's White House Deputy Press Secretary and Senior Communications Advisor Andrew Bates has issued on Friday an extraordinary statement eviscerating Elon Musk and Twitter X and the anti-Semitism not only promulgated on Musk's platform, but by Musk himself personally. To read it in full from White House spokesperson Andrew Bates, quote, it is unacceptable to repeat the hideous lie behind the most fatal act of anti-Semitism in American history at any time, let alone one month after the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Like President Biden said weeks ago, memorializing the victims of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, the October 7th, quote, devastating atrocity has brought to the surface painful memories left by millennia of anti-Semitism, unquote. And under his presidency, quote, we will continue to condemn anti-Semitism at every turn, unquote. The statement continues. We condemn this abhorrent promotion of anti-Semitic and racist hate in the strongest terms, which runs against our core values as Americans. We all have a responsibility to bring people together against hate and an obligation to speak out against anyone who attacks the dignity of their fellow Americans and compromises the safety of our communities. The statement Friday from the White House Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates. The most important part of this statement is the fact of the statement itself. It indicates that the White House is not going to shy away from this issue domestically, even when the other side, the Elon Musk amplification of the kind of replacement theory anti-Semitism behind the 2018 Pittsburgh synagogue mass shooting, has such a huge platform behind it as Musk's now provides. What is in Andrew Bates's statement is indisputably true, and it transcends, as he notes, the specifics of which religion or race or group is the target of the hate Elon Musk and the anti-Semites are peddling, promoting, pushing and trafficking in. The White House is taking Elon Musk head on. 
Also contained in the fact of the statement from Deputy Press Secretary Bates is the implication that President Biden will say something himself about what Twitter X and Musk are doing. Not necessarily a speech, although bluntly, that would be a terrific and impactful idea and not necessarily drastic action against Musk or Twitter X. But to issue such a statement is to invite even the somnambulant White House press corps to ask Biden about it at the first opportunity. It is easy enough even for reporters. The language is strong and unyielding. All they are required to do is ask Biden if he agrees with it. And certainly when this statement was composed, none of that language was used without President Biden's knowledge. There are words in here such as horrific. There are words in here such as Holocaust. There are words in here such as millennia of anti-Semitism. Abhorrent. Condemn. This is serious stuff. What should be next is leveraging the power of the White House, the power of the U.S. government, from Congress to states to the White House to remove the Twitter X platform from Elon Musk's control by utilizing the very real threat that the government can ban Twitter X as a danger to American safety. It can also cancel all contracts with Musk's SpaceX and Tesla and other firms. This I elaborated on in Friday's regular edition of Countdown, so if you have already listened, there is no need to play through the entirety of this bulletin episode. But the gist is the safety and indeed the lives, not just of Jewish Americans, but of all Americans who could be reduced and diminished and pigeonholed into some minority, some other in a time of hatred, These lives are at risk in a time when Musk and his ilk slander and smear and libel whoever they feel like without anyone stopping them. So as this full episode that follows makes clear, it is up to the United States government to stop them. It is up to President Joe Biden to stop them, to protect American lives here in America. Either Musk exits Twitter X, or we must move to ban Twitter X. It is time for the government of the United States to ban X, the social media site still primarily known as Twitter, and to terminate all government contracts with its owner. Under Trump, the government had moved to ban TikTok as a security risk to the United States, so there is precedent for at least the attempt because a process that has been accelerating for more than a year reached a climax Wednesday, then continued Thursday when owner Elon Musk answered a blatantly anti-Semitic tweet echoing the language of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter with a reply from him that read, quote, you have said the actual truth. Combined with surging anti-Semitism throughout the website and the use of Nazi hate speech and paraphrases of infamous Hitler quotes by the likely Republican candidate for president, the tinderbox of anti-Semitism, indeed of hatred against races and religions of all kinds, the tinderbox has never been fuller nor drier, and Trump and Musk seem determined to light it ablaze and with it to light ablaze the peace and the security of this nation. Ban Twitter X now, and ban all government financial dealings with Musk now, before it is too late and before the burgeoning anti-Semitism of Twitter X and Musk's endorsement by extension of the mass shooting at the Pittsburgh synagogue becomes the sole purpose of that platform. As I said, in an extraordinary irony, The precedent for this begins with Trump's moves against TikTok, including an executive order in 2020, and then a Biden Department of Justice investigation of TikTok that began on March 17th of this year. The TikTok ban is a separate issue 
And I don't want to mix it in here with the prospect of banning Twitter X because in response to the appalling fanboying of Osama bin Laden's hate screed against America and against Jewish people on TikTok this week, at least that was followed by a meeting between TikTok executives and prominent Jewish figures. TikTok might actually be trying to fix things on its site. That remains to be seen. Twitter X, on the other hand, is doing nothing. And its madman owner, Musk, seems to have no awareness of the impact of his own diseased and hateful mind. And he has attacked those who have dared to criticize him about this. The post that turned Twitter X from a mere sewer to a sewer on fire belching toxic smoke read in part, quote, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. Even though these are virtually word for word the sentiments of the so-called Tree of Life shooter who murdered 11 people, including Holocaust survivors, at a synagogue in 2018, Musk replied, as noted, quote, you have said the actual truth. When criticized by the Anti-Defamation League, Musk doubled down. I am deeply offended by ADL's messaging and any other groups who push de facto anti-white racism or anti-Asian racism or racism of any kind, I'm sick of it, stop it now, unquote. Musk's bizarre, self-destructive running of the Twitter X platform had already destroyed more than half of its value and even more of its advertising. Then yesterday afternoon, IBM announced it was pulling its already scheduled ads for the next three months. The New York Times says that was about a million dollars worth. Rather remarkably, as of the close of business yesterday, the New York Times had not yet canceled Musk's scheduled appearance 12 days from now at a Times event that it calls its Deal Book Summit, which it describes as the gathering of, quote, the most consequential leaders in business, politics and culture, unquote. And I guess the most consequential leaders in anti-Semitism. It seems impossible to believe that the Times will actually permit Musk to participate in its branded event. He has not only rendered Twitter X toxic, but the revulsion has spread to his other companies. As the publication The Street wrote last night, some prominent Tesla investors seem to finally be losing faith in the company's often controversial CEO. The stock fell roughly 4% Thursday after Musk highlighted an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, then issued a series of seemingly bigoted tweets on X. The future fund partner Gary Black wrote, I want to believe the CEO's attitudes and Tesla brand equity are not linked, but my common sense tells me otherwise. And wealth and investment manager Ross Gerber, whose fund owned 420,000 shares of Tesla at the last accounting, reached the inevitable conclusion. He wrote that Musk has now gone too far. He's like Trump now. As the snowball rolling down the hill toward her reached speeds of about 1,000 miles an hour, Musk's hand-picked CEO Linda Yaccarino posted a comment at 3.45 p.m. Eastern that seemed to have been crafted by the nation's finest satirical comedians. Maybe Tim Robinson in his hot dog suit in the middle of the we're all trying to find the guy who did this meme. Quoting Yaccarino, X's point of view has always been very clear that discrimination by everyone should stop across the board. I think that's something we can and should all agree on. When it comes to this platform, X has also been extremely clear about our efforts to combat anti-Semitism and discrimination. There's no place for it anywhere in the world. It's ugly and wrong, full stop, unquote. If taken sincerely and literally, Yaccarino's only possible next action would be to suspend the account of Elon Musk. As a Gentile, I will note that the phrase X has also been extremely clear about our efforts to combat anti-Semitism and discrimination may also be literally true. It has been extremely clear that it has made no efforts to combat anti-Semitism and discrimination. And it is rather incredibly bigger than anti-Semitism alone. Twitter X is rife with other racism and other flavors of religious hatred and other forms of discrimination at a time when the concept stigmatizing, blaming and persecuting a generalized other 
and white supremacist thuggery when these things are resurgent in the United States and elsewhere. If Twitter X or other private entities cannot force Musk to sell the platform immediately, he leaves the government of the United States no other option in such a perilous time. Congress could act. Individual states could act, as some have acted against TikTok. The president could resort to his own executive order, or all branches and all parties could work in concert in a rare and, frankly, rather easy display of bipartisanship. Musk has gone down a path from which he cannot backtrack. Twitter X, at least his version of it, must be banned. And government contracts and other agreements, local, state, and national, with his other firms, SpaceX, Tesla, The Boring Company, Neuralink, and XAI, must be terminated today. There is no other option. Elsewhere, another judge has proved incapable of seeing or proved that he is deliberately ignoring the similar danger to the peace and safety of the United States posed by the Musk of politics, Dementia J. Trump. A New York State Appellate Division judge who identifies as a Democrat but was appointed 25 years ago by a Republican governor has joined the D.C. Court of Appeals in staying one of the gag orders against Trump. This time it is the gag order in the New York civil fraud case, during which Trump has doxed Judge Arthur Engeron's courtroom clerk and fabricated a backstory for her to the benefit and pleasure of his cult. Judge David Friedman said the order raised constitutional and statutory rights at issue and stayed it until the full state appeals court panel can consider it a week from Monday. Apart from Judge Friedman's cluelessness as to the reality and imminence of the mortal danger to which Trump subjects his targets, the most remarkable aspect to the staying of this gag order, and also the one imposed by Judge Tanya Chutkin in the federal election subversion trial, is that in response, Trump has shown, for the first time, unexpected weakness. While celebrating his lawyer's manipulation of Judge Friedman in a social media post, Trump wrote about the, quote, ridiculous and unconstitutional gag order not allowing me to defend myself against him and his politically biased and out of control Trump hating clerk, unquote. In the post, Trump names Engeron. Trump names the Attorney General Letitia James. He does not name the clerk, even though there is nothing at the moment preventing him from doing so. It has not been noted widely, but since the D.C. appeals court stayed that gag order in that case, Trump has barely mentioned the judge or the special counsel or anybody else in that case. It cannot be good judgment. Trump does not have good judgment. It has to be fear. In another curious Trump legal twist, he has been hoist with his own petard in the New York City criminal case against him for falsifying business records to hide hush money to Stormy Daniels. Trump's ambulance chasers moved to dismiss that case. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has now replied by reconstructing Trump's words of self-martyrdom and using them against Trump. Quote, defendant repeatedly suggests, begins Bragg's filing, that because he is a current presidential candidate, the ordinary rules for criminal law and procedure should be applied differently here. This argument is essentially an attempt to evade criminal responsibility because defendant is politically powerful. Courts have repeatedly rejected defendant's demands for special treatment and instead have adhered to the core principle that the rule of law applies equally to the powerful as to the powerless. Unquote. Did you say that, Mr. District Attorney? What a guy. I'm hoping that Mr. Bragg sent a copy of that to Jack Smith. Judge Eileen Cannon, the former yoga and flamenco dancing correspondent of the Miami Nuevo Herald, has refused to establish now a deadline for Trump to disclose which classified materials he later intends to use in his defense in the Florida case. Establishing the deadline now would increase the chances of keeping the already tardy Florida trial schedule intact. Judge Cannon says she will set that deadline in March of next year. Not for March of next year, but in March of next year. The trial is supposed to begin in May. 
Reporters covering that trial and legal experts guess that we are now several months behind that schedule and the thing can't possibly start before July. Clearly, Judge Cannon has no intention of ever going back to covering yoga and flamenco. As another note of curiosity, as the Trump circumspection in the wake of the stayed gag order seems strange, so does special counsel Smith's relative inactivity, some might say inertness, when it comes to delay after delay sought by Trump and granted by the judge Trump appointed. It's almost as if the Florida case is there as a sidebar to the D.C. case, and Smith isn't trying to get other courts to overrule Judge Cannon in order to foster some sense in Trump that his lawyers are not idiots, and his strategy is not going to guarantee his conviction in Washington, and not guarantee that he will die in prison, and in hockey at least, this would all be called a deke. Oh, and one more thing to add to Trump's paranoia. The special counsel investigating the small collection of mishandled classified documents in two locations connected to President Biden. CNN quotes two sources close to that investigation as saying that the investigation is complete and the special counsel Robert Herr is writing an extensive report and he is going to charge nobody. Nobody with nothing. Also of interest here, to continue the hockey imagery, George Santos is two-thirds of the way to a hat trick. After the ethics report came in, he's saying he will not run for re-election. What, and waste the negative $16,000 his campaign did not raise in the third quarter? And momentum is building towards expelling him, which would leave only the third option where he quits immediately. And there is startling new research that the Republicans actually would not miss his vote. And speaking of fraud, there is the sportscaster Carissa Thompson's startling boast that some of her halftime off-camera network TV interviews with football coaches never happened. And she just made the stuff up. It's shocking, unless she also just made that up. That's next. This is Countdown. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander, with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer, check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com, that's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford 
Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Washington House Ethics Committee report is back. Surprise, surprise, surprise. George Santos doesn't have any. In response, Speaker Ugly Johnson has advised members to consider whether or not to vote to expel him. Santos says he will not run for re-election. He may try to position that as a great moral stance for a change. In fact, it probably has more to do with the fact that his campaign fundraising for the third quarter of this year was minus $16,500. But most interesting of all, the impeccable Philip Bump of the Washington Post has researched all the Republican votes since they swore Santos in. Santos, if that is his real name. And guess what? The Republicans actually did not need him there to pass anything. Not even usual Republican time-wasting stuff. Quoting Phil Bump's calculations, there have been nearly 674 votes this year. Only 10 resulted in a one-vote margin or in a tie. And while that would theoretically mean that in those 10 votes, you could say Santos's vote was essential in getting Republican stuff passed, Bump found a surprising caveat. None of the amendments or bills covered by those 10 votes ever became law anyway. Each one of them passed the House and then went into conference with the Senate, where they all died. Bump has also found out that as a year has gone by, Santos has become a less reliable vote for Republicans. So from the GOP point of view, instead of helping their well-oiled voting machine in Congress, he had become kind of a drag. Sorry. Nancy Faust. And yes, if Santos does resign, the likeliest successor to his seat is Republican newcomer Katara Ravache. Dateline San Francisco, most of them will never believe it, but another right-wing conspiracy theory just blew up. David DePap has been found guilty on both counts in his violent attack with a hammer against Nancy Pelosi's husband after DePap broke into their home hoping to kidnap and or torture and or assassinate her. DePap could face maximum sentences of 30 and 20 years on the two convictions. And Dateline Washington, another part of the Tucker Carlson MAGA January 6th conspiracy theory. No, not the ghost buses thing, but rather the Antifa plant thing is again disproven. John Earl Sullivan, widely proclaimed to be an informant or a plant or something, who said he was just a citizen journalist, just a member of Black Lives Matter, who happened to record the shooting of the terrorist Ashley Babbitt. He has been convicted on all counts, including carrying a knife into the Capitol. His lawyers may have sealed his fate for him when they called another, quote, citizen journalist, unquote, to testify on his behalf. And she played video of him shouting into a bullhorn, exhorting the crowd to go into the Capitol and telling that crowd, we're about to burn this spit down. Unclear how much time he'll spend in the big house. Unclear how much money he spent on those lawyers.
ahead of us on Countdown Fridays with Thurber and the one of all of his short stories that has been in middle and junior high school and high school textbooks for 80 years. The Night the Bed Fell. First time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze to Caitlyn Jenner who responded to a Donald Trump Jr. post about how people of a certain age should be able to use the R word. If you're not clear what I mean by that, the R word is a version of one of the words in the following phrase, fire retardant. Jenner responded to the Trump tweet, quote, I'll say it, quote, retarded, unquote. She spelled it wrong, R-E-T-A-R-T-E-D. Like you were a tart, and now you're a tart again. What a tart. The runner-up? Why, it's Trump Jr. again in his own right. His word of the day was Congresswoman. I thank Ron Filipkowski for pointing this out. It's worth listening to a couple of times from his video cast as Jr. tries to introduce Marjorie Taylor Greene and gets it wrong. I love this one. Congresswoman MTG Marjorie Taylor Greene. We're going to be talking her new book. I love this one. Congresswoman MTG Marjorie Taylor Greene. Friends, Congresswomans, countrymen, lend me your ears. But our winner is Carissa Thompson, former football sideline reporter at Fox and at this rate, former sports broadcaster. I did the baseball equivalent of the sideline reporter job, dugout reporter, I guess, for about 20, 25 games for Fox Sports and NBC from 97 through 2000. And I remember once needing to get a reaction in the middle of the game from baseball commissioner Bud Selig and having to literally crawl under a camera and then crawl through a half door to get out of the Yankee Stadium dugout and back towards where Selig was seated. So this was kind of shocking. On a podcast, Ms. Thompson announced, the word actually is boasted, that when tasked with doing some of those I talked to Coach Smith halftime reports, she she didn't she didn't talk to Coach Smith. She just she just um, she just made it up. I and I've said this before, so I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. Um, I would make up the report sometimes because a the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late. And I was like, I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up because, mm-hmm. first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to skill- stop. Uh, hurting ourselves. We needed to be better on third down. We yep. need to stop turning the ball First over. The quarterback. We need, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and do a better job of getting off the field. Like, they're not going to correct me on that. Right. I'm like, it's fine. I'll it, just make up the report. Now, in terms of the quality of the journalistic content, Ms. Thompson is entirely correct. The coach rarely ever says anything. Maybe we do not need sideline reporters. But then there's that one time when you talk to him or to somebody and he says something like what happened during a near riot at a playoff game at Fenway Park in 1999 on Fox. I got Yankees owner George Steinbrenner for my little report and I said something really deep like, what do you think, George? And George said he thought that the Red Sox manager Jimmy Williams had incited the crowd to riot. That was a hell of a statement, and it basically became the lead story that night and the next day. And I didn't contribute anything more to that than asking George if he would come on with me and then asking him the most generic question ever. But I asked him. You can't not ask them and then say you asked them. You can't make it up. The premise is you never make it up banal or trivial or meaningless you can't make it up and you certainly can't then boast about making it up Carissa Thompson is the host of Thursday Night Football on Amazon management there was asked by the Sports Business Journal if she would address this or if there'd be a suspension or something and the answer came back quote she was telling the story from 15 years ago unquote well we assume she was telling a story from 15 years ago unless she made that up too which is the point. You say something like that and you kind of destroy the presumption that you're not making stuff up all the time. There are three other dimensions to this. The people who did the podcast tweeted out the clip, apparently proudly, and then when the blowback occurred, they deleted it. 
The other two dimensions to this I think are really valid. At least a dozen other women who still work as sideline reporters, especially in football, were appalled at Thompson's revelation. They work hard. The results, the goals, what they are there for, that's not their decision. That's not their fault. They work hard. They do what they're supposed to do. And Mike Freeman, a veteran football reporter and an African-American man, asked a really disturbing and important question. What if that announcement, (laughs) I didn't interview the coach, I just made up what he probably would have said. What if that had been made by a sideline reporter who was also an African-American man? How quickly would he have been fired? And justifiably, you can't make it up. Amazon may not be able to fire her. She didn't make it up while she was working for them. But how do you keep her on your broadcast when she's admitted to fabricating a key element of all football broadcasts? Harissa, I wouldn't worry too much about the next contract negotiation, Thompson. Today's worst person in the world to say and no comment. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma. Delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota Dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. argued before that James Thurber is the greatest American humorist, and it dawns on me that the argument is not unlike the idea that Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels is almost automatically the most valuable player in baseball each year because he is an all-star hitter and an all-star pitcher in the same body. James Thurber was a brilliant writer, and in his spare time, he was an equally brilliant, almost avant-garde artist in the same body. His simple drawings depict the most complex of emotions and comedic situations. His dogs are immortal. And then there were his captions. Well, I can't do anything with his drawings in a podcast, so I'll just read. And I will read you now in this episode what is probably his most famous story. From My Life and Hard Times, The Night the Bed Fell by James Thurber. I suppose that the high watermark of my youth in Columbus, Ohio, 
was the night the bed fell on my father. It makes a better recitation unless, as some friends of mine have said, one has heard it five or six times than it does a piece of writing, for it is almost necessary to throw furniture around, shake doors, and bark like a dog to lend the proper atmosphere and verisimilitude to what is admittedly a somewhat incredible tale. Still, it did take place. It happened then that my father had decided to sleep in the attic one night to be away where he could think. My mother opposed the notion strongly because she said the old wooden bed up there was unsafe, it was wobbly, and the heavy headboard would crash down on father's head in case the bed fell and kill him. There was no dissuading him, however, and at a quarter past ten he closed the attic door behind him and went up the narrow, twisting stairs. We later heard ominous creakings as he crawled into bed. Grandfather, who usually slept in the attic bed when he was with us, had disappeared some days before. On those occasions, he was usually gone six or eight days and returned growling and out of temper with the news that the Federal Union was run by a passel of blockheads and that the Army of the Potomac didn't have any more chance than a fiddler's bitch. We had visiting us at the time a nervous first cousin of mine named Briggs Beale, who believed that he was likely to cease breathing when he was asleep. It was his feeling that if he were not awakened every hour during the night, he might die of suffocation. He had been accustomed to setting an alarm clock to ring at intervals until morning, but I persuaded him to abandon this. He slept in my room, and I told him that I was such a light sleeper that if anybody quit breathing in the same room with me, I would wake instantly. He tested me the first night, which I had suspected he would, by holding his breath after my regular breathing had convinced him I was asleep. I was not asleep, however, and called to him. This seemed to allay his fears a little, but he took the precaution of putting a glass of spirits of camphor on a little table at the head of his bed. In case I didn't arouse him until he was almost gone, he said, he would sniff the camphor, a powerful reviver. Briggs was not the only member of his family who had his crotchets. Old Aunt Melissa Beale, who could whistle like a man with two fingers in her mouth, suffered under the premonition that she was destined to die on South High Street because she had been born on South High Street and married on South High Street. Then there was Aunt Sarah Schof, who never went to bed at night without the fear that a burglar was going to get in and blow chloroform under her door through a tube. To avert this calamity, for she was in greater dread of anesthetics than of losing her household goods, she always piled her money, silverware, and other valuables in a neat stack just outside her bedroom, with a note reading, this is all I have, please take it and do not use your chloroform, as this is all I have. Aunt Gracie Schof also had a burglar phobia, but she met it with more fortitude. She was confident that burglars had been getting into her house every night for 40 years. The fact that she never missed anything was to her no proof to the contrary. She always claimed that she scared them off before they could take anything by throwing shoes down the hallway. When she went to bed, she piled where she could get at them handily all the shoes there were about her house. Five minutes after she had turned off the light, she would sit up in bed and say, Hark! Her husband, who had learned to ignore the whole situation as long ago as 1903, would either be sound asleep or pretend to be sound asleep. In either case, he would not respond to her tugging and pulling so that presently she would arise, tiptoe to the door, open it slightly, and heave a shoe down the hall in one direction and its mate down the hall in the other direction. Some nights she threw them all. Some nights only a couple of pair. But I am straying from the remarkable incidents that took place during the night that the bed fell on father. By midnight, we were all in bed. The layout of the rooms and the disposition of their occupants is important to an understanding of what later occurred. In the front room upstairs, just under father's attic bedroom, were my mother and my brother Herman, who sometimes sang in his sleep, usually marching through Georgia or onward Christian soldiers. Briggs Beale and myself were in a room adjoining this one. My brother Roy was in a room across the hall from ours. Our Bull Terrier Rex slept in the hall. 
My bed was an army cot, one of those affairs which are made wide enough to sleep on comfortably only by putting up flat with the middle section the two sides which ordinarily hang down like the sideboards of a drop leaf table. When these sides are up, it is perilous to roll too far toward the edge. For then the cot is likely to tip completely over, bringing the whole bed down on top of one with a tremendous banging crash. This, in fact, is precisely what happened about two o'clock in the morning. It was my mother who, in recalling the scene later, first referred to it as the night the bed fell on your father. Always a deep sleeper and slow to arouse, I had lied to Briggs. I was at first unconscious of what had happened when the iron cot rolled me onto the floor and toppled over on me. It left me still warmly bundled up and unheard, for the bed rested above me like a canopy. Hence I did not wake up, only reached the edge of consciousness and went back. The racket, however, instantly awakened my mother in the next room, who came to the immediate conclusion that her worst dread was realized. The big wooden bed upstairs had fallen on father. She therefore screamed, let's go to your poor father. It was this shout, rather than the noise of my cot falling, that awakened Herman in the same room with her. He thought that mother had become, for no apparent reason, hysterical. You're all right, mama, he shouted, trying to calm her. They exchanged shout for shout for perhaps 10 seconds. Let's go to your poor father. And you're all right. That woke up Briggs. By this time, I was conscious of what was going on in a vague way, but did not yet realize that I was under my bed instead of on it. Briggs, awakening in the midst of loud shouts of fear and apprehension, came to the quick conclusion that he was suffocating and that we were all trying to bring him out. With a low moan, he grasped the glass of camphor at the head of his bed, and instead of sniffing it, he poured it over himself. The room reeked of camphor. Ah, choked Briggs like a drowning man, for he had almost succeeded in stopping his breath under the deluge of pungent spirits. He leaped out of bed and groped toward the open window, but he came up against one that was closed. With his hand, he beat out the glass, and I could hear it crash and tinkle on the alleyway below. It was at this juncture that I, in trying to get up, had the uncanny sensation of feeling my bed above me. Foggy with sleep, I now suspected in my turn that the whole uproar was being made in a frantic endeavor to extricate me from what must be an unheard of and perilous situation. Get me out of this, I bawled. Get me out. I think I had the nightmarish belief that I was entombed in a mine. <laughs> Gasped Briggs, floundering in his camphor. By this time, my mother, still shouting, pursued by Herman, still shouting, was trying to open the door to the attic in order to go up and get my father's body out of the wreckage. The door was stuck, however, and would not yield. Her frantic pulls on it only added to the general banging and confusion. Roy and the dog were now up, the one shouting questions, the other barking. Father, farthest away and soundest sleeper of all, had by this time been awakened by the battering on the attic door. He decided that the house was on fire. I'm coming, I'm coming, he wailed in a slow, sleepy voice. It took him many minutes to regain full consciousness. My mother, still believing he was caught under the bed, detected in his I'm coming the mournful, resigned note of one who is preparing to meet his maker. He's dying, she shouted. I'm all right, Briggs yelled to reassure her. I'm all right. He still believed that it was his own closeness to death that was worrying mother. I found at last the light switch in my room, unlocked the door, and Briggs and I joined the others at the attic door. The dog, who never did like Briggs, jumped for him, assuming that he was the culprit in whatever was going on, and Roy had to throw Rex and hold him. We could hear father crawling out of the bed upstairs. Roy pulled the attic door open with a mighty jerk and father came down the stairs, sleepy and irritable, but safe and sound. My mother began to weep when she saw him. Rex began to howl. What in the name of God is going on here? Asked father. The situation was finally put together like a giant jigsaw puzzle. 
Father caught a cold from prowling around in his bare feet, but there were no other bad results. I'm glad, said Mother, who always looked on the bright side of things, that your grandfather wasn't here. I've done all the damage I can do here. I just was talking to Coach Smith at halftime, and I thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully Studios at the Old Roman Broadcasting Empire in New York. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Chanel handled orchestration and keyboards. Mr. Ray was on the guitars, bass, and drums. Produced by TKO Brothers. See, that's why sometimes when I put in something that isn't true, I put it in for comedic effect, I say, I made that part up. Other music, including other Beethoven tunes, arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is courtesy of ESPN Inc., and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, and we call it the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. Now, the reason I say we call it the Olbermann theme from ESPN2 is it really didn't have a title. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Debatable, but if you say that's not true, you're wrong. Our announcer today was my friend Richard Lewis, and he is a dear friend, so that's true. And everything else was pretty much my fault, which has been true about me since more or less 1961. That's Countdown for this, the 1,046th day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is Tuesday, bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.